Well, we had an amazing time in Haiti, and um, our goal this morning is to share some of that with you and to bring you along in our trip. You know, as we do missions as a church, um, it's not just an isolated experience for some people that go. Uh, it's something that our whole church uh, gets behind, and we're all a part of this. And so today we wanted to share with you some of the stories. We're going to take the, the balance of our time to kind of walk you through what we're doing and, and what Antioch is a part of in Haiti. Now, Haiti is this um, unique and crazy place. Um, it was once known as the jewel of the Caribbean. It was jungle and it was beautiful. And after decades of government corruption uh, and the people living in abject poverty and stripping the land, it is now one of the poorest nations in the world. In fact, um, it has been ranked the, the most poor uh, nation in the entire world when you look at the potential of the people to get out of their poverty. That's because the nation itself doesn't have a lot of natural resources, and they've already stripped all of the forests and all of the trees, and there's nothing left. And so they live on less than $1.50 a day. If they can find work um, for the day and feed their family, they're lucky if they get one meal. It's an incredible uh, experience to go into that kind of poverty, but also to see God's hand in it. They are a simple and fabulous people. They love Jesus, and it's so fun to worship alongside of them and to see God at work uh, in this nation. You know, in uh, 2010, I believe it was, was the, uh, was the earthquake. It was a 7.0, and it rocked Haiti. Port-au-Prince was in ruins. And, um, and it was out of that that the Holy Spirit began to do a new work in Haiti. And a lot of different organizations came, and they started to do work. But it was really the church that rose to the top and was meeting the need. There was a lot of people that came in, and money was flying all over the place, but not a lot of it was filtering down to actual help for the people. But it was the church that came in and started to give the hope of the gospel along with meals and water and physical, tangible needs, meeting needs. And, and there has been something of a, a move now where the church is taking off and God, God's kingdom is expanding. And it's incredible to see the growth of this. And so Connect2 Ministries, which we partner with, um, has been at work uh, since before the earthquake in doing orphan care uh, in Haiti and now is, um, is really focusing in on that topic. And so you're going to hear more about that. In fact, um, our team was focused really in three areas. And I'd like to invite uh, John Denton, Hope Denton, and Monica James to come up to the stage. And, um, and they're going to share with you. And as you hear from the different team members this morning, um, we want to give you the opportunity to ask questions. And we're going to have a time at the end uh, of our service where we're going to get to read some of your questions. So as you hear them sharing, uh, if you have a question that you'd like to ask, uh, either specifically about something that's shared or in general about Haiti or the ministry or what's going on, there's a, a number right here. You can text your question to that number. And we will um, we'll get those and we will get to read some of those uh, on stage here. So uh, please participate, ask questions. If there's something that pops in your head, um, go ahead and text it and, um, and so that we can ask our panel and ask some of our team members 
uh, and answer those questions. So I want to start off with, with some updates about what our team actually did while we were there. And so, uh, Monica, would you uh, share with us about the kids' ministry and what we did with the training aspect of the children's workers? Good morning. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> so uh, we started our week doing a training for Haitian church leaders. Um, we were training them in children's ministry and how to develop a children's program. So John had created a curriculum. There was probably about 60 Haitian church leaders there representing about 11 churches in the area. And the training or the seminar went on for about four, maybe five hours um, with no breaks. Everybody was just dialed in and um, they broke into groups. They developed uh, like a theme for their program they came up with Bible verses that would relate to that theme, and then John went on about um, activities and crafts and things that they could do, um, just really encouraging them to be creative with whatever resources they had that they could use for the kids. Um, then they broke off into groups and kind of started, they just started praying for each other. John asked them to pray for um, members of the other churches, and so they kind of mixed in with each other and they just they were praying for about 15 minutes it was the most amazing thing just to listen to their prayers we were praying with them um, I think there was a clip in the video of them just praying and it was just awesome to just see them coming together that way um, later that night we met with Greg Barsha from Connect Two Ministries and he shared with us that the ultimate plan is that these 11 churches that we trained would then train 10 more churches and then those 10 churches would train churches and you know within however many years it takes just how the churches will be spread through Haiti and these children will, will all know Jesus so it's exciting for all of us to be a part of something like that yeah this was a shift this was the first time that we've done something like that um, that training and, you know, we've done uh, a lot of trips down there now. And every time we go, we do a, a kids program. And uh, so we've, we've packed out churches and we've had these amazing uh, times with the kids. And this, um, this time we thought, you know, we've done this so many times. It's time to start passing the baton to, to raise up the Haitian leaders. And that's, that's one of the values that we have and that Connect2 has. And, and one of the things that unites us so, so strongly together is that... Um, that value for empowering locals and that that we're not going down and creating dependency on the American church to come in and do the show and put on the program and then we're gone and they can make do with what they have. We want to train them. We want to train leaders. We want the churches to be thriving on their own and we want to be encouraging and challenging and training and championing from the background. And so this was an opportunity, and it's the first um, time that they've done this to bring together uh, 11 different churches, like about 60 different leaders, and, and really train them on what is it, what's the value, what's the purpose behind children's ministry, really valuing uh, the next generation, what that looks like, and how we can invest in them, and how we can uh, use all of the senses to, to make the Bible come alive for these kids. And so it was a really powerful time of getting to invest 
in those, um, in those churches. And then, um, as Hope will share in just a second, we got to partner with those leaders then the rest of the week as we did four different um, children's programs uh, f uh, on four different sites. And those leaders came and joined us and actually led some of the breakout discussion. In fact, on the video, you saw, um, you saw some of the Haitians working with the kids. And that was them um, doing, responding to the lessons that we were teaching. And they were the ones that were teaching the kids and helping the kids uh, engage the material and interact with it and discover for themselves the, the lessons of the lost coin and the lost sheep. And so it was pretty awesome to see um, them get trained and then right into doing the stuff. So Hope, will you, uh, would you share with us just what our VBS time looked like and, and what stood out to you about that time? Yeah, so this year, it's only been, this is only my second trip there. So the VBS this year was completely different than when I was there three years ago because we were so focused on having their own leaders do everything. So it was kind of odd for us to like have to get used to taking a step back and letting their own um, kind of take over. I would like go to pass out crayons and someone would just grab it from me and go to pass it out instead. But um, it was really awesome to see all the leaders' willingness um, and their heart and their passion for their kids and their church. I mean, they were all about it. Um, even the translators, we had five translators who were with us like all day, every day. They are so awesome, fantastic. I've never, I don't know, they just like were all in it. If you guys see like, I don't know if they had a video, they would lead worship with just like one person here, no music or anything, just singing. And these kids were so into it, which was so awesome to see. Um, and the leaders were right on with it as well. So it was just really cool experience to um, this year be more of with the kids instead of s like, you know, ha just handing, passing things out to be with the kids and sit with them as they worship. That was an awesome experience um, this time around that we got to do. So that's cool. And, you know, yeah. Thank you, Hope. Also, uh, this year was a little unique in that um, they limited each of those four locations to 100 kids. And normally, uh, they'll, they'll put the word out, and we could have three or 400 kids, which sounds incredible, and it is an incredible opportunity to have that many kids. But there was really something unique this year about having 100 kids that it allowed us to invest deeper in those children. And so um, we were able to break out into discussion groups for the first time. That's, we've never done that before. That was a new concept or a new, a new trial run this, this time. And it only worked because we had smaller amounts, and it really helped the kids to go a lot deeper with the material. We want, and, and, and Greg really encouraged us to, um, to think about really planting the gospel deep in these kids' lives because they're the, they're the hope of the, of the nation. They're the hope of reaching that nation for Christ. And so um, we, we don't want to just bring together kids for fun and games. We want it to, to be fun but meaningful and deeply impacting with the gospel. And so it was cool to have those, uh, those smaller groups and have that help. So you also saw the other side that we've been doing there um, over the years is helping with the actual building of uh, the buildings there and building the tangible wood structures that um, that house uh, the ministry and so Antioch has been a part of really building what's happening there from the floor the ground floor up 
And, um, and so I won't go into too much detail. I'll let John do that because he's going to walk us through um, kind of an overall picture, not just of this trip, but what we as a church have been participating in as we've been going down to Haiti over these years. So, John, would you like to kind of walk us through that a little bit? All right. So, uh, well, first of all, I don't know if we mentioned we're all dressed up, not because we totally wanted to. What? But because, well, we I totally want wanted to. to. Yeah. It might have been my idea. But anyways, um, this is how the Haitian people dress at church. They come out of their shack or their little whatever they're living in. I mean, literally some of them are shacks. Some of them are lucky to have a shack, and they come out looking better than us. So uh, we thought, you know what, we'll do a little Haitian style. Um, so I'm going to try to go over the last four years of construction in like five minutes. So if I sound a little bit like an auctioneer, that's because I'm going to sound a little bit like an auctioneer. Uh, what I did is uh, um, I put together a little slideshow that keeps moving and has a definite end because I could talk about each one of these slides for five minutes. But anyways, uh, oh, we started already. So in, back in 14, we had say, there's Pastor John. Pastor John was on the team back then. We built the warehouse on the compound at Puisa's compound the first time. When we started, that church right there was all that was on that big compound. That's the warehouse building that we built in 2014. Uh, that's what Puisa's church looked like. Harold gave me a little laser pointer so I could play with that at some point maybe. Uh, so here's a church, and then the ch down on the right there, you can't really see with that, is a medical clinic. And then came the building behind the church, which is dormitories and the kitchen. Uh, remember that building with the red roof on the top was the warehouse. There's uh, Lindsay back in three years ago. Uh, we got to help do some finished work. Those are handmade cabinets with no power tools. That's what the dormitories looked like a few years ago, two years ago. Um, and this is the best picture I have, but that's what they look like now, all painted and nice, and, uh, and uh, that's kind of what they look like now. So this is the compound. This is Puisa's church. Uh, you can notice, recognize the center blocks and boards. That's my, hey, that's Hope and Josh from a couple years ago. That's what it looked like. That's the inside. Again, center blocks and boards, uh, nothing much else. This is what the church looked like this time. We've got power. He's got ceiling fans, tile, new pews. Um, it's neat to see how that has changed over the last years. So here we go. So the top, very top are dormitories, dorm kitchen. Red on the left, kind of red still, is the church, warehouse, clinic. And all that framing down the left-hand corner is the area that's going to be the trade schools. Uh, the trade schools are going to teach, especially the orphans, before they turn 18 and they have to move on, trades. So that's what it looks like now. It is now uh, has roofs. There's another building now, too. They're going to have – that is a – going to be a culinary art school. There's a kitchen in that building. They're sewing. They're going to have welding. They're going to have raising rabbits, raising chickens, uh, automotive repair. So that's really exciting. Here's our team from 2015. In 2015, we had a smaller construction job. That's Frankie's house. House being a little relative term, that's the house he was trying to build for five years when he was able to, unable to finish. We were able to give him some resources to finish the block, put a flat roof on that house in 2015. Um, and that's what it looked like after we were, com we were done. And the next picture, I think, so that's where he was living, and that's where he and his family, I think four kids, moved into. And then that's a bathroom. There's two bath two toilets in there that we were actually able to build for a neighbor that uh, was living across the street. 2016, two years ago, that is when we got to start on the Regency Orphanage. That is one of the dormitories at the Regency, or orphanage, uh, Regency Orphanage. That's the Regency Orphanage, nothing there. Uh, except for that building that we're working on and another building. Um, that's where they house the rescue, the slave rescue kids. Okay, those are our trusses. I think those are like 44-foot trusses that year. Those are big uh, and heavy. And that's us pushing one up the, 
the, uh, the side to try to get up top. And there it is when we were done. So we put, I don't remember how many trusses it was. Now this is Regency Orphanage as of a year or so ago. In the front there is a soccer field. We, we were told three years ago that the goal was to have this soccer field to be used for the community. There's the two dorms. The red building in the middle is like a pavilion. That's the soccer field on our last trip. They had a six-team soccer tournament going on that week, and it wasn't church teams. It was teams from the community. It was really exciting to see. October 2016, Eric and Bob and I were able to go after the hurricane and build some houses. I threw this in here just because it's another construction project that was funded by Antioch. We had a lot of help slash observers on that trip, <laughs> mostly observers. That's not my best look, but yeah. Uh, there's Eric and Bob, and uh, we just built these things, three little houses, 12 by 12s. There's a community come out going, what are these white people doing? Uh, there's two of them, and then we built a third. And the really cool thing about this was when we went back, I was able to go back on that Christmas trip, and uh, we were able to go by there, and these are the three families that were living in the houses that we built. We were able to meet them, and that was really cool. 2017, that's last year. Last year, we were able to build Pastor David's church. He tore down what little shanty thing he had going up there. We got there, that's what it looked like. Uh, started from scratch, setting posts. as John McHale. There's John McHale. He's here. Uh, putting up headers. Making trusses again, not quite 44-footers, which was nice, but there's the trusses, John Looney up there doing it. This is when I broke my wrist, by the way. But anyways, that's another story. Uh, and there it is. And that's what it looked like when we left last year. I didn't have a picture, but one of those VBSs they did this year was in Pastor David's church, which is really cool. That's our team from this year. Uh, that's actually when we got back because we forgot to take a picture. But anyways, there's Pastor Puis rocking his Antioch shirt and hat. Look at that. And he was stoked about that. So there's the Regency Orphanage. They're calling it Regency One. Right now there's boys and girls, I believe 76. That land across the street, they purchased it. That's where Regency Two is. That's where we work this time. So now we're doing a whole separate Regency Orphanage. The only building there, or there's a couple, that's the pavilion right there that's going to be the pavilion. That's us putting up the posts again. We had 22 posts. This is a really long building. It was 84 feet long. 24-foot trusses, which were a lot nicer to move around than 44s, I'm telling you. Uh, that's us working and the headers. We said you guys saw these pictures in the first thing, but that's just the process that we go through when we build these things, and that's it when it's done. And then um, I think of the this is what it looks like to put 44-foot trusses on a 15-foot box truck, in case anyone ever was wondering. Another team was there doing it, and this is Regency 2. This is going to be, so they're going to have the girls here and the boys on the other side where the soccer field is, and they're going to do some special stuff there. Uh, one thing I didn't say that's really cool about the compound, and this is just amazing to me, and it's uh, Greg, Greg uh, Barshaw has told me that nine churches from the United States were involved in building that compound. And it's not, it's one church, right? It's God's church, and it's us coming together, which is really what it's all about. But that's just, I just love the fact that nine different churches came together and have a hand in that one compound, which is pretty crazy. So, anyways, that's Haiti in the last five years. All right. Thank you, guys. So you met, it's really cool to know that we as a church, Antioch Church, we have built two churches there. We have built multiple houses, and we have been part of uh, building the compound there where the ministry functions out of. 
and now we've been part of building both of the different orphanages that are, uh, are going to be running there. So it's pretty cool that um, God has given us this opportunity. You know, when you hear about these, um, these orphanages, uh, you have to understand the bigger context of what's going on here. So there was a huge um, orphan uh, care need after the earthquake. There was, you know, they build with the, what you saw, those block walls. And when those block walls come down, people get hurt. And it left a lot of orphans in the nation. But there's also another issue uh, in Haiti that Connect2 is really taking on, and it's beginning to be one of the primary focuses of the ministry there. And that is among the Restavik kids. Restavik is a term uh, in Haiti that means a slave child. And Haiti has over 300,000 kids that are in slavery. And that could be either labor or sexual slavery. And it's not against the law. Uh, slavery is actually not against the law in Haiti. Uh, mistreatment of people is against the law, but the actual slavery is not against the law. And so uh, the, what's happening is when there's mistreatment that is reported, the government will go in and remove a child, and they take these children to connect to, and they say, will you care for this child? And that's what the Regency Orphanage has become. That, that's what its primary goal is, is to rescue these kids out of horrendous situations and give them a place where they can experience family, they can experience hope, and they can experience Jesus Christ. And so you saw uh, John described how they're actually developing um, training centers where these kids can grow up uh, in a, with a church family and then actually acquire the skills to live on their own. And with less than 50% literacy rate in Haiti, this is a gift to these children, that they will, uh, they will live their lives with a skill of being able to develop business and commerce uh, and, so, and, and the whole time being connected, connected to a family. So um, we wanted to give you some personal testimonies also. So go ahead, guys, uh, Kim and Don and Lori and... Who's my other one? Just you guys. Okay, come on up here. Um. One of the things that I love is um, challenging our newcomers to a team uh, to share their experience because they see uh, Haiti through a different lens. They see with fresh eyes um, the, the unique experience of going. And so I've asked um, Lori and Don and Kim if they would share just a thought or an experience um, that stood out to them. So, Lori, would you go ahead and share with us? Yeah, you didn't, is it on? Yeah. You didn't tell me just to share a thought. <laughs> no, but um, I, it's a privilege. It's a privilege, and I just want to thank you, first of all, to our church family. Um, doggone it. Why'd you put me first? I'm going to cry <laughs> for, for allowing me to go. It's a privilege. It was a privilege. And not so much, um, it was a personal journey for me because when God calls you to go, and you know when he calls you to go, because usually you're like, no, he didn't say that, <laughs> right? That's how, that's how you know, and, uh, but he called me to go, <laughs> for me, that is. Um, but I always wanted to go, but, <laughs> but it, <laughs> thanks, Rob. but it, um, but I knew this time around, I'd gotten laid off. I don't know if you guys know, but I got laid off in October. So, and 
that was when um, Julie Jordan always was like, are you going to go to Haiti this time? Because she knew it was on my heart. And um, inside of me, I knew the Lord was like, it's time to go. And I'm like, what? I just lost my job. How am I? Did I, you know, all those thoughts. Um, but then he gave me peace and I let it go. I gave it to him and said, well, you're calling me to go. So that means you're going to open up the doors for me. And he did. He really did. And I mean, to the point where there was no, um, I didn't fear anything going into Haiti. I just knew that he called me to go. And I knew if I was obedient and going, um, he would take care of everything else. And he did. I mean, he did um, with the sponsorship, with my family and friends um, who believed in the cause. And um, so when I went, it wasn't about saving, you know, rescuing the poor Haitians. I knew what our mission was. I knew that it was um, to equip them so that they can further their ministry with their own people. So my job was just to go in humility and to be the hands and feet. And it was so um, awesome because, like John was saying, the people there are just so amazing, beautiful, and their faith um, is just so simplified. And as you hear a lot, you know, we get, we're just so distracted here. And so it was neat to be able to worship pure-heartedly with, with the Haitians and um, to just experience uh, God in that place. And again, let me remind you, this, this was my first time out of the country, period. So, yeah, so, you know, going to Haiti was like, I knew it was going to be, I knew that the Lord was just going to speak. And um, I remember when we got to the airport and drove to the compound, it was like, all I've seen, probably the worst, was with maybe like Skid Row, you know. So I remember driving and, and, and looking at the terrain being like, okay, slums, trash, and you think you're going to end up in the suburbs? It just keeps going and going, and you're just, like, overwhelmed. I was so overwhelmed. And um, to think that my two-bedroom townhouse that fits five people is poverty, like, I will never, ever think that again. <laughs> I am so grateful. And, um, but, to, but it challenged me because their faith over there is, is pure, is pure. And um, it challenges me that even in the circumstances that I'm in, really the enemy hit me when I came back home. When I was there, I didn't get sick, nothing. Like, thank, thank the Lord, I didn't. And it was only until I came back here that I got hit. So I knew that he was doing something. He was doing something great because the enemy wanted to attack me to steal my joy. And I met beautiful people, Ty's here. And, um, I mean, that was a blessing. And uh, to just be encouraged from her and to reminded that to be reminded that um that's how he works the enemy will come full force is it been three oh shoot okay so see what i'm saying so if you need if you want to i'm sorry but if you want sh- to talk to me more um, thank you just thank you guys <laughs> hi i'm i'm don calma and uh I was asked uh, late in the game to to go on this trip, and John came up to me because one of the people had to drop out uh, because of medical issues, and uh, he asked me to think about it, and I did, and uh, I made the decision to to do it. I prayed about it and, and made that decision, and the trip 
was the most powerful trip I think I've ever, ever done. It was from the flight there, the contrast from the United States to landing in Haiti and seeing the poverty that's there uh, was very, very humbling. Uh, it touched me. Uh, the first day, I wept. <laughs> it, it's to see what, how these people live. And yet, they're all happy. The children are the ones that just totally amazed me. They're, they're, they're always smiling. They were willing to help. We did construction, and these kids would come every day and want to be part of it. They'd want to help. They want to they build their community. And, uh, and that was really touching. One day, there was a couple of kids that, that had come out on the construction site, and I had my cell phone with me, my, and I handed it to them, and they, they just, they were taking selfies. They just, they loved it. You know, they're taking pictures of themselves and looking at them. And after that, I, I went back out, and I was working, and I just, again, started crying. And it's because God's touching me. And uh, it, it's, it's tough to see, but I have to say the Haitian people are strong, courageous people. They, uh, every, every day, every morning at 5.30 in the morning or 5 o'clock, you start seeing the Haitians walking down the street, down a dirt road, coming from their little makeshift houses that they have, and they, they come into church every day not one day a week every day and they pray and they they praise the lord and it it really makes you think you know how humbling that is and then we would come back every day from construction tired and beat and we'd have dinner and we'd have our meetings and Greg Barshaw was there, and he would ask some questions that would seriously make you wonder your faith. You would just, am I, where am I with my faith? Because he would ask questions that would really bring you to, to the Lord. I would go to bed every night, and I would ask the Lord for forgiveness. And, you know, I have to say, it, it, it was a tough experience for me. I'm not the youngest guy on the team, I'm sure, and my back's still hurting. <laughs> but, but I gotta say that, that it was probably, or it, it, it was the, the, probably the greatest experience I think I've ever, ever had. It was amazing. And, uh, I think the people in Haiti need our prayers. Hi, I'm Kim. I'm not going to say it in Creole. <laughs> um, you know, I'm not a stranger to missions. I was a missionary uh, in Colombia and, and also in 
Honduras, and then I went back and kind of lived like a Honduran, and Honduras is a poor country. But when I uh, got to Haiti, Honduras and all of its poverty kind of paled in comparison. Um, just like uh, Lori was saying, our family's been going through a real rough season. Um, financially, my husband has lost his job, and we have no benefits, and just one thing after another. Had to put our dog down. Our car, my car died two days before we left. <laughs> it just kept going one after another, but it, I'm so thankful that I got to go on this trip, and it, I just want to encourage anybody, because I also had, I, I've been doing different missions trips, but I knew I was supposed to go to Haiti, and this time I just, I kept telling, um, I just kept telling everybody, okay, I'm going to go to Haiti, and this time I knew I was supposed to, and it was the perfect timing. God's timing is so perfect, because it just put all my first world problems into perspective. Um, it, it was, and you know, you always hear it. When you're depressed, what's, what's the thing that can best pull you out of your depression? Go and help somebody else. And it was just a gift from God at this time in my life to go into what I know is a calling of mine and to go to a place where there's so much poverty and so much need and to remember that I have absolutely nothing to worry about, nothing to fear. I live in a country where there's resources. I have, we have some resources we don't want to use, but they're there. And the people in Haiti have absolutely nothing. So it just absolutely just helped me release it. And one of the things that Greg Bradshaw, when he talked to us, you know, he said, what is it that you fear the most? And um, can you release that to God? So that was such a huge blessing in my life. Um, he also said, there is no hope for Haiti outside of God. And that's absolutely true. But it's true for all of us. There is no hope for any of us outside of God. And when God is our focus, that's when we have hope. Um, I had the joy in our little VBSs that we did to tell one of the two stories. And we told the story about um, the Good Shepherd. And the emphasis that we put on our stories was that when the shepherd left the 99 to seek the one that was lost, it was because each one matters to God. And the joy I had was to be able to stare at those beautiful little faces that just suck up the love. They just want that attention and that love. And I would be able to stare in their little eyes that were staring a lot of them so intently at mine and tell them, God would leave the 99 for you. God cares about you. It doesn't matter if he has everybody else. If he doesn't have you, then he's not satisfied. And that's the message of hope for Haiti. Um, this picture is a little boy named Shelton. And the, one of the crafts that we did was this little fan. And uh, it's a little sheep, and it has our memory verse that we had on there. And, you know, this was the one. Some of the coloring sheets ended up on the floor, but you didn't see the fans because these were kind of more special. Um, 
Shelton was one of the ones that I looked at when I was telling my story, and I saw him just staring intently in my eyes. And when he did this craft, when he was finished, he called me over. And he handed it out to me, and he pointed to me. And I, I called the interpreter over, and he said, I want you to have this. And um, so I had him sign it, <laughs> and I took a picture of him. But the entire day, he just kept looking into my eyes, and I think he was just feeding off of that hope that God cares for Shelton just like he cares for every single person in Haiti. Um, and it was just a joy. If you're thinking about it, just do it. What do you fear? Give it to God, and then let him use you, because that's how we get outside of ourselves. Amen. Can we thank these three again? Thank you, guys. All right, I'm going to go ahead and call up um, our, uh, our little question and answer panel. So Sherry, Jeff, Eric, and Julie, if you want to come up here. So we've got a few veterans, and then Jeff, this was um, Jeff's first trip uh, to Haiti, so we got a newbie also. So, um, so I've already been getting a few uh, questions here that are coming in um, by text. And so um, you guys can use that mic and pass it around. Um, so anybody can, uh, can jump on this. But the first question here is, does Connect2 ever have medical trips, and is medical help needed there? Does one of you want to take that? Sherry passes it right along. <laughs> I don't know specifically. I mean, I'm sure they do. He's, he speak, speaks of it all the time. Um, I do know that on the trip that uh, John and I had went on, the October trip, they had a, it wasn't at the compound, but it was at a different uh, location where they had a, uh, a medical uh, outreach program. And uh, there's a Dawn, I believe is her name, works there too. She's a medical facility person. And uh, she probably goes down there often. Um, and they do, so they do quite a bit of medical outreach. I, I just had the one experience myself. They do have a clinic um, at Pastor Poesis and it's open five days a week now. So there is care that is given to the children of the families that, that come for that. But as far as uh, medical trips, mission trips, I don't, I have not heard of any, but we definitely should yeah, we, like we haven't done anything with medical as a church, but there are some groups that go down. Um, like Julie said, the, the clinic there now, they have a pharmacy and they have a doctor that comes in um, five days a week. They're open, and that's free medical care to the community. That's just people that have no other access to medical care that can come and access that. And so there are teams that go down um, periodically that, do, that work with um, uh, kids that have... Um, different disabilities. They've done uh, trips with Johnny and Friends where they'll fit wheelchairs, uh, crutches, those type of things. They've done eyeglasses and dental trips. Um, so some of those things are happening. We haven't had an opportunity to engage on that uh, specific level yet, but, but that is a need there for sure. All right, uh, another question here. This is actually for John Denton, and, um, and Harold gave him a mic. So John, on a past trip, there was a little girl who had reddish hair due to a vitamin deficiency that you, quote, fell in love with. Was she there this time, and did you connect with her, and is she doing better? You want to respond to that? Getting sucked right back in. <laughs> um, so, uh, honestly, I, I've, I checked with Greg about her over the last, am I supposed to stand up? 
Sorry. Uh, I checked with Greg about her, and uh, she did get deep into my heart, and I have her picture still on my Facebook, actually. But I will also admit that when you go there once a year and you see all these little, tiny, beautiful little black kids, it's hard to tell the difference after a while. Um, but I had heard that she was doing better, and she doesn't have red hair anymore. I didn't see, I haven't seen any kids with the with that red hair problem in the last two years, which is another amazing, awesome thing because they're doing a good job. Yeah. So the the kids, um, when they have a protein, it's actually that they haven't received enough protein, and um, and so the 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 roots of their hair will start to turn orange uh, because they don't have enough protein in their diet. And Greg was describing to our team uh, about a, a common practice among the poor that can't feed their families. Um, they'll mix some vegetable oil with dirt and make these little cakes to feed their children. And obviously, there's no nutritional value in it at all. It's just to put something in their stomachs so that they can make it through the night. And that, that's horrible to think about. And so some of these orphans that come into their care, um, they haven't had the right nutrition, and so the, that's part of the program is getting them healthy, getting them uh, on the vitamins and pro, uh, protein that they need. So, um, all right, another question to our panel here is, how does the Haitian government view the work of the church, and is there any government interference? Anybody want to take that? <laughs> they all look at each other, I love that. <laughs> I don't think the Haitian government opposes the help of the church in Haiti. Um, and from my experience or our experience, I don't think there's been any opposition to what uh, Pastor Poise or Connect2 is doing. As a matter of fact, uh, they bring the, the orphan children to Connect2 for their help. So they view this as a good thing, which it is. And if anything, I would... Uh, ask all of you guys to pray for the government because that's where the problem starts. So pray for salvation. Pray the Lord do a, a mighty work in each and every one of them. Yeah, I asked Greg, uh, where are these kids coming from? Are you going in, is the church going into places and pulling these kids out and rescuing them? And he said, no, it's, it is actually a great partnership that they have with the government. Uh, and they have something like our Child Protective Services. It's, um, it's, I can't remember the name of it. It's like Battalion for the Mistreatment of Children or something like that. And, um, and so they're the ones that actually will go in and remove a child and bring it to, um, to the orphanage there. And so there is a great uh, partnership. Um, but uh, Julie's right. There's, there's so much corruption that takes place. There's, there's bribery and all kinds of things that, that undercut um, uh, the really helping the people. So it's a challenging environment. May I say one more thing? Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Um, there's an estimated 800,000 orphan children, truly orphaned. And there's over a million orphans in the orphanages. There's like 760 orphanages. Those children that are not truly orphaned are brought into the orphanages because their parents cannot afford them. So they give them to the orphan orphanage um, sometimes for money, sometimes for not. But what is happening is there's a lot of orphanages that are not true orphanages, and these orphans go in the front door and out the back door into slavery. They're sold into slavery. That's another thing you can pray about. Yeah. So um, 
Last question here is, uh, did you create a written curriculum on how to develop a children's program, or was it more of mentoring? So, um, yeah, do, uh, Sherry, I'll let you take that. Go ahead. Um, yes, we did. John worked um, really hard on it and developed uh, something, and um, we did leave it, and hopefully um, uh, the church, Pastor Puisa's church, will be able to uh, translate it all into uh, into Creo. Um, I, I will just say the training was an awesome day, and, and John just did an, an excellent job, and the, the leaders from the churches were um, really into it, and it was such a privilege to be part of um, the VBS the following days and have uh, two churches with us each day, and those leaders taking what was taught to them on Tuesday and put into practice. And one of the church, I'll just say real quick, one of the church's um, pastor was there at the training, and then he brought three people with him to one of the VBS days. His name was Pastor Legrand. And some of you will remember at the uh, December trip, he was brand new. Um, Greg Barshaw wanted us to go to that trip, I mean that church. Um, we got there, and it was uh, utter confusion and um, actually turned into a, a real mob scene. And um, outside of the outside gate that we were at, there, were, there was estimated around 1,500 people trying to get into this little closed area. And people were coming over the walls, and then people inside were batting them off with, with uh, bamboo sticks. And we weren't really able to do our VBS that day because we just couldn't get, we tried, we started, we just couldn't quite get it uh, under control. And that pastor has been on my heart since because he was so excited to have us there and to have his, uh, the children in his community um, have this program. And he was one of them that came to the training. And then he came to one of the VBSs with his leaders and they participated, watched how it was done. And then um, as we were leaving that day, he talked to a few of us and just said, thank you, I now know what what to do, and we're going to do this um, at our church. And I thought that's that was the goal, so it was exciting. Yeah, you know, um, Sherry here has six, over 16 years of children's ministry experience, and so we were able to draw on that, and yeah. And uh, so we were able to draw on that and put some of that to, to down on paper and hand that to them. We also were able to give them a, a box of resources that they, uh, during our workshop, they created their own VBS program. We walked them through the steps, and they actually did it with their team. And by the end of the day, they left with a box of resources to go and do the VBS that they had just, um, that they had just planned. And so it was pretty cool. So can you say thank you to our panel here? There was actually, uh, there's one, there was one other question there that I'm going to end with, and that was, um, there was a question of, are uh, gifts to connect to tax deductible? And they are. Um, it's a, a registered nonprofit. And there's actually a card on your seat there that is um, a sponsorship card. And um, there's some information there about how you can sponsor a child. Now, when you sponsor a child, um, they're, they're caring for uh, about 90 kids right now in the Regency Orphanage. They're going to double that in the, in the coming months. By the, hopefully by the beginning of the year, uh, they will have doubled that. 
And so um, this uh, is not necessarily for a specific child, but it goes to, uh, to support those orphanages and to care for those children that were uh, in slavery. And so if you'd like to give towards that, this is an opportunity. And you can, um, you can jot down your info and, and send it directly to Connect2. You can put your credit card information on there, um, and you can drop it in one of the boxes as you leave, and we'll forward that on to them. Or you can give through Antioch if you'd like to um, and, and just designate that, and we'll make sure it gets to them. But we would love to um, continue to partner with them in that way. Well, um, you know, you, we've, you've heard us talk about uh, the issue of slavery, and you've heard us talk about the issue of fear. And, um, you know, one of the things that uh, is incredible to see there is when you look into the, kid, the, the faces of these kids, and you imagine the circumstances that they came from. And then you see the joy on their faces. That these are, these are God's kids. These are kids that are going to be the church planters and the worship leaders and the, the, the ministry leaders of the next generation. And they don't have to fear anymore. You know, for all, all, us, we, we'll never experience that kind of fear. But there's other things that hold us back. There's things that hold us back from going overseas but there's things that hold us back from going next door there's things that hold us back from engaging and stepping into mission right here in our city and so we're going to close with a song that talks about i'm no longer a slave to fear i'm a child of god and we're going to sing that in english and then we're going to sing that in creole too and we're going to declare god that we're not afraid and we're going to take god's message to the ends of the earth starting with our own neighborhoods would you stand with me? We're going to sing that together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for all that you're doing in Haiti. I thank you for all that you're doing in us and in our city, in our neighborhoods, in our Simi Valley, in our little uh, corner of the world. Lord God, I pray that you would move our hearts to compassion, that you'd move us to action as well that you do something in us that compels us to be your ambassadors, that compels us to share your love with the people around us. Lord, we thank you once again for the opportunity to be part of your kingdom, expanding to the corners of the world. And we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.